What do Don Norman, Gibson's affordances, and scripts and prototypes have in common? Well, a lot actually, but that'll come later. Welcome to Summary and Synthesis. Greetings and how do? This is English 730, user-centered research for technical communicators, summary and synthesis. I am your host, Emily Kuznar Laird, and thank you so much for joining me on another journey into the world of user-centered research. Now, I've been waiting for this week in anticipation of one individual, Don Norman. So Norman's book, The Design of Everyday Things, has been sitting atop the book pile residing by my desk for a few weeks now. I've been tempted to open it and thumb through, but alas, I've wanted to give our other authors my undivided attention, and in doing so, I respectfully neglected Norman's book. This week, of course, that all changed. Now, before I get too ahead of myself in today's episode, we're going to be summarizing and synthesizing work by Norman, Greeno, and St. Amant. I'm actually pretty excited for all three of these readings and I have a lot I want to cover so we're gonna hit green and go. Without further pause, Don Norman's The Design of Everyday Things. Let's summarize. The first four chapters of Don Norman's The Design of Everyday Things, which is what we'll focus on from Norman, takes us down a different journey than our viewpoint of user-centered research from our last episode. Last week, we took an in-depth approach to the rhetorical and scientific relationship found within user experience. This week, we'll take a human approach to user experience by looking at the involvement of cognitive science and design. Chapter one of Norman's book will begin with two of the most important characteristics of good design, discoverability and understanding. Discoverability is a user's ability to understand the actions required when using something. Understanding involves questions like, what does it all mean? How is the product supposed to be used? Or what do all the different controls and settings mean? How the heck do we use this thing? Simpler devices like a door require signals indicating where to push. More complex devices require manuals or personal instructions to achieve discoverability and understanding. Norman explains his book will focus on the interplay between technology and people to ensure products fulfill human needs while being understandable and usable. To do this, Norman will discuss the design of everyday things and their relationship within the design of how things work, how they are controlled, and the interaction between people and technology. One issue Norman found within this interaction is machines or technology were not being designed to equate for human error. When designing things for people, designers need to understand both technology and psychology. This is where good design resides in the landscape of human-centered design. Discoverability, Norman explains, results from the appropriate application of five fundamental psychological concepts, affordances, signifiers, constraints, mapping, and feedback. Norman will thoroughly explain each psychological concept, and I will instead give you the nutshell version. Affordance is the relationship between an object's properties and the capabilities of an agent in the determination of how the object could be used. They provide clues as to how an object can be operated. I should note, as does Norman, the notion of affordances and the insights it provides originated from J.J. Gibson, who we'll discuss later. 
Signifiers, another psychological concept of discoverability, communicate where the action should take place. Constraint refers to the limiting of user action by environmental perceptions. Next is mapping, which is the relationship between the elements of two sets of things, so lights and corresponding light switches. Finally, feedback refers to communicating the results of an action. When we reflect on using objects, we can certainly filter our experiences, both good and bad, through the inclusion or exclusion of these psychological concepts. And there you have it, the five fundamental psychological concepts of discoverability by Don Norman. Norman's second chapter looks at the action of people and things, or objects. Norman will explain there are two parts to action, doing and interpreting. It's going to draw us back to Bewley's testing and evaluating. Norman discusses the gulf of execution or the amount of effort that a person must make to interpret the physical state of the device and to determine how well the expectations and intentions have been met. There are three stages of execution, plan, specify, and perform. And there are seven stages of action, goal, plan, specify, perform, perceive, interpret, and compare. Norman will then discuss conscious versus subconscious thought and the human behavior levels of decision-making, visceral, behavioral, and reflective. Design must take place at all levels. One big takeaway from this chapter is the acceptance of bad design. It's easy for us as users to fail at performing something and initially blame ourselves. Norman will continuously drill us with the notion that if we can't figure it out, it's bad design, not human error. I like that. It's a great way to keep ourselves open to recognizing bad design instead of simply defaulting to the concept that we, as a user, aren't smart enough. Norman will also share a self-imposed rule, which I try to live by and love. Don't criticize unless you can do better. This notion can benefit us all, both professionally and personally. If anything, it makes us more open to accepting other viewpoints, which as technical communicators, we have to be. It takes me back to our discussion of Pat Sullivan's encounter from the last episode. If we're in a space where we'll default to criticize, it means we're closed off. If we're closed off, we're not open to engagement, we're not open to encounter. Chapter 3 of Norman's book focuses on knowledge in the head and knowledge in the world, and how each works in decision-making and design or how we acquire knowledge and use it. Norman will also discuss short-term and long-term memory and how each will translate into design or human and technology engagement. Chapter 3 also discusses natural mapping, a good example being gesture-controlled faucets, soap dispensers, and hand dryers. A bad natural mapping example of the stove with burners arranged in a rectangular shape but controls in a one-dimensional role. Toward the tail end of the chapter, Norman has a very powerful and interesting quote stating, The partnership of technology and people makes us smarter, stronger, and better able to live in the modern world. We have become reliant on technology and we can no longer function without it. This quote seems very Captain Obvious, but... It says so much about the place our civilization is in, right? Furthermore, it showcases the dependency humans have on technology and the responsibility required by good design. Chapter 4, as Norman explains, focuses on knowledge in the world and how designers can provide critical information that allows people to know what to do, even when experiencing an unfamiliar device or situation. 
Constraints will be a major design indicator for understanding how to use something we're unfamiliar with, and those will come in four kinds, physical, cultural, semantic, and logical. Conventions are a cultural constraint Norman will discuss, which determines what activities should be done. Others prohibit or discourage actions. Some of these can be forced or a form of physical constraints such as interlocks, lock-ins, more lock-outs. We engage with various forms of constraints all day, every day, such as pop-up messages about saving our work before we exit programs. Conventions also include cultural constraints and become dependent on cultural contexts and norms. Essentially, knowledge in the world as it relates to humans engaging with technology relies heavily on constraints, conventions, and affordances. Affordances refer to the potential actions that are possible, but these are easily discoverable only if they are perceivable. Perceived affordances. It is the signifier component of the perceived affordance that allows people to determine possible actions. Norman's chapter will wind down with a discussion of sounds as signifiers with an interesting history of the danger posed by quiet electric vehicles and the decision-making applied to sounds required for said vehicles. Ultimately, Norman gives us a thorough understanding of how users engage with technology through knowledge, decision-making, affordances, constraints, signifiers, feedback, and more. Good design requires its creators to be aware of the human process for technological engagement. As technical communicators, understanding and advocating for the user is our core functionality. Thus, the knowledge and insights offered by Norman are incredibly valuable, useful, and important to our future work. Norman took us down the road of Gibson's affordances, but now we'll dig in a little bit deeper. James Greeno's Gibson's Affordances. Let's summarize. Greeno begins his article by explaining J.J. Gibson, in a 1954 article, breaks from the standard thoughts of the psychology of perception at the time and discusses the relational understanding of visual perception of motion and movement. Greeno states, in Gibson's view, perception is a system that picks up information that supports coordination of the agent's actions with the systems that the environment provides. This viewpoint led Gibson to develop his conception of affordances or the characteristics of objects and arrangements in the environment that support their contributions to interactive activity. Greeno will segue from affordances to another system providing the theoretical and formal support for interactive psychology, situation theory. The concept of constraint plays a key role in situation theory through regularity and dependency relationships. Essentially, the presence of one indicates the presence of the other. If there's smoke, there's fire. Greeno will explain affordances and abilities can be thought of as conditions in which the constraints of successful performance hold. So walking from a hallway into a room, the action is accomplished by walking. The doorway is the affordance as well as the path along a supporting surface. An affordance then relies on this relationship of holding properties that engage with an agent. 
Greeno states, affordances are, in this view, preconditions for activity. Norman, as we just discussed, would agree with this as he explained in this engagement of humans to technology, affordances are going to offer us clues of what we could do. Gibson, and of course Greeno, are going to focus on the psychology of perception and theory of perception by way of supporting information in the coordination of an agent's actions. It's very theoretical. But when we extract this theory and apply it back into the many examples provided by Norman this week, even through his many door examples, we can see how this interpretive process works between object and agent. All right, well, if individuals with fancy last names trip your trigger or you just want to hear a rant involving Blake Shelton, you're going to love our next author and this next summary, Kirk St. Amant. Let's summarize. St. Amant's of scripts and prototypes, a two-part approach to user experience design for international contexts applied research, offers technical communicators guidance when approaching global product development and usability. St. Amant explains in today's interconnected global economy, organizations need to begin thinking of usability in terms of different cultural perspectives of use. We design things which reflect our culture, which is great for us, but doesn't always assimilate into other places. One quick story. So we all know Kentucky Fried Chicken or KFC's slogan, finger looking good, right? Now in 1980, or in the 1980s, KFC moved into the Chinese market and peppered Chinese cities with billboards featuring their famous slogan, except they went as cheap on the translation as they do on their chicken because the billboards didn't read finger licking good. No, they read eat your fingers off. Had only one individual asked a Chinese user to read and interpret what the billboard said in what would have potentially been the world's simplest usability test, KFC would have known they were about to spend a fortune rolling out a Kentucky Fried advertising mess. But back to St. Amand, who's going to explain, there are various factors which make understanding the context of use in one's native culture challenging. Determining context of use in another culture, that's mega challenging. But don't worry. St. Amant's got two tricks up his sleeve in the form of script theory and prototype theory. Now, script theory, first proposed by Sylvan Tompkins in the 1950s, examines patterns of action in particular contexts. The focus of script theory is to identify the variables which affect behavior within an environment. In doing so, one can understand the assumptions individuals have about what will happen in the particular setting or the scene. Now, Shank and Abelson in 1977 will extend Tompkins' concepts to identify other script-based variables affecting both expectations and behavior in the scenes. These include settings, role, props, entry conditions, exit conditions, and sequence or order in which events happen within the scene. St. Amant states these script-based items provide technical communicators with a framework for tracking the factors or variables individuals associate with usability in scientific settings. St. Amant provides questions which associate with each script-based variable whose answers aid researchers in frameworks or models for understanding. 
Technical communicators could also employ user interviews and focus groups to identify script-based expectations of other cultures in particular contexts. One issue script-based theory doesn't solve is that of identification. For individuals to know to use something, they need to be able to identify what it is. Design can also be recognizable, but not culturally acceptable. St. Amant will explain, thus, technical communicators need to be aware of cultural expectations of recognizability and acceptability when developing materials for different contexts of use. Groupon. The group buying deals site fell victim to this when first expanding into the Chinese market. A little trend here with Chinese market expansion, right? So Groupon moved into China and used the same tactics and marketing strategies as they did when expanding from the U.S. into Germany. Unfortunately for Groupon, China is not the same market as Germany, which I know, interestingly, they didn't. Another crippling effect was only two members of their management team were from China, so assimilation through recognizability and acceptability was completely missed. From a personal standpoint, I don't see Groupon working in China based solely on how the Chinese shop. So when I was younger and earning my undergraduate degree, I worked at the Mall of America in Bloomington, Minnesota. We had Chinese tourists shopping with us on a daily basis, and they barter. They were so used to bartering, in fact, that even though they knew we don't, they still would. Force a habit. Groupon is like pre-bartering. It's still bartering, but it's like you were getting warmed up to barter and just, you know what, said, I just agree to pre-barter and you know what, we'll just agree on this price and we won't actually barter. I remember once reading Groupon was arrogant when it entered the Chinese market and I can understand that. Like St. Amon is explaining to us through script theory, we need to understand the scenes and variables which constitute expectations. Had Groupon done this, I'm sure they would have approached the Chinese market with far greater caution respect, and strategy. So St. Amant will then introduce us to prototype theory, which examines the connections between words and visuals. For instance, when we hear the word hammer, we think of an image of an object we identify as hammer. If we see a new object, we'll try to make sense of it based on our experiences with other objects. Now in the vein of this, there is a fantastic subreddit called What Is This Thing? where people post pictures of objects they can't identify, and truthfully, it's fascinating. I highly recommend. Individuals learn prototype expectations based on exposure, and culturally, we learn what is acceptable of a particular thing and what is not. Like in 2017, when People magazine named Blake Shelton the sexiest man alive because not only was that horrendously false and completely unacceptable, but because literally billions of other men who were not Blake Shelton were currently alive. But let Blake Shelton's unsexiness be an example that, as St. Demont explains, technical communicators cannot assume what something looks like is universal in terms of recognizability and acceptability. To discover varying cultural associations of context, technical communicators can conduct interviews where they ask participants to describe what items or individuals should look like or ask them to draw examples or comment on different depictions based on recognition and acceptability. 
Saint Amant is then going to put it all together, explaining the key to success involves merging these two frameworks, which technical communicators can then use when employing research. By utilizing the script theory with embedded prototype theory, technical communicators can frame up personas of users from other cultures, which can then be used to guide the design process. We'll conclude with Saint Amant stating, the key is to employ this approach in a way that gleans effective. Initial data on users from other cultures and then to develop and test designs based on these findings. All right, guys, we made it through the summaries, so you know what time it is. Let's synthesize. Greeno discusses Gibson's affordances, referring to whatever it is about the environment that contributes to the kind of interaction that occurs. This notion draws us back into St. Amand's piece in regard to technical communicators understanding the environments outside of their own in which design functionality will take place, what affordances will live within these various scenes a la script theory, and what expectations exist of these designs based on prototype theory. Affordances are not universal, and this is something we as technical communicators must keep in mind. This, of course, supports the burning flame of users' testing. Norman will discuss this concept of contextual affordances throughout his book using examples including doors, a Lego police motorcycle set, stairs, and vehicles. As scenes and settings shift, as cultures shift, user experience shifts because design shifts. Norman begins his book with the term discoverability, which he explains results from the appropriate application of those five fundamental psychological concepts we covered earlier. Just a quick refresh, there are affordances, signifiers, constraints, mapping, and feedback. For technical communicators, discovering discoverability requires going back once again to St. Amant, understanding essentially the culture or environment of where that design will live. The strategies offered by St. Amant and the perspectives of Norman can take us back to so many of the authors we've discussed in previous weeks, from Steve Krug and Leah Buley's recommendations and, guide and guidelines for user testing, to Patricia Sullivan and Robert Johnson's concepts of encounters or audience involved. Now let's peel away one more layer here and touch base with our central concept of social constructivism because there's a thread here that's tying all this together and its meaning-making through interaction. Don Norman will continuously remind us through his text that the user is not at fault, it's simply bad design. But bad design is often the result of an audience unengaged, a failure to encounter, a user untested, a script left undetermined, and a visionless prototype. Social constructivism champions the notion of meaning-making through engagement. We learn from one another as differing viewpoints, perspectives, and contextual understandings shift and differ. Technical communicators must not only understand this notion of meaning-making, but apply it within their field. Norman, St. Amant, and Greeno through Gibson's affordances offer us a viewpoint into meaning-making between users and objects. To aid us as technical communicators in better understanding the relationship between humans and technology. This has been Summary and Synthesis. Thank you, and have a great week. <laughs>